Wilson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I have spent so much time, so much energy, so much effort this summer trying to figure out this Milwaukee Brewers team. 42 and 37, second place in the NL Central right now behind the Cubs, who are also struggling. Going through going through the motions in the summer. You're figuring out your pitching, figuring out your hitting. Everybody struggles here and there. I'm trying to figure this Brewer team out. Who they are, what their ceiling is, what their average is, what their low point is, and I can't do it. This team this team might just be a puzzle that can't be solved. I, that's the conclusion I'm starting to come to. They lost last night. To open their series against the Mariners, they lost 8-3. to three. And look, there's a lot of games throughout the course of the summer. You're going to lose a lot of games. I'm not overblowing this one loss. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Brewers today. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Brewers today. Not just on this one game, but maybe what last night's game and a lot of other games so far this season have told us about the rest of the team and about maybe how the rest of this regular season is going to go. I saw a lot of promise in those final two games against the Cincinnati Reds. Now, the first two games, not a whole lot went right. I believe the first game, and this is off the top of my head, I believe the first game they lost something like 7-1, to and then on Friday, it was a four-game series, on Friday they lost like 11-7. to One game they were almost shut out, and then the next game they couldn't buy an out, and the offense scored seven runs. It was kind of an unorganized mess. Saturday, Sunday, we saw a lot of good things. We saw a lot of promise when the Brewers stormed back and basically said, man, we can't lose three or four to the Reds. After that road trip we had, we can't lose three or four at home. And they came back, they won Saturday, they won Sunday, and made the best out of what was going to be a tough weekend regardless, right? Showed a lot of promise. The starters weren't great. Okay, well, Brandon Woodruff was great. Brandon Woodruff seems to be the only great thing about this, this starting rotation. They were good enough to win two games. The bullpen did its job, and the offense not only scored runs, but but like on Saturday when Yoli Shasin pitched, they were they were well timed, right? They they responded. They were reactive, right? Because scoring runs, as we learned on Friday night, isn't always going to win you games. The Brewers scored seven runs. You're going to win more often than not. They, they they didn't win on Thursday. On Saturday, though, their offense showed up at the right place, showed up at the right time, right? Yolish Shasin comes in, gives up three runs in the top of the first, and you're thinking, man, here we go again. And then the offense comes back and gets you four. And all of a sudden, they're right back on top. That's that's the Brewers' offense they don't want to see more of. That's what we saw this weekend. That's not what we saw last night. They lost 8-3. to three. And and look, the Brewers could come back. They could win the next two, and they could win the series from Seattle, which which I think is, is everyone's benchmark. When you're playing against a poor team, Seattle's bad. Seattle's going to be sellers at the deadline. Seattle doesn't have a ton of talent. Right, I was listening to the Bill Michaels show yesterday. They were talking to, uh, to one of the, the broadcasters for the Mariners, and he was almost mocking his own team. This isn't a good baseball team. Nobody's expecting a sweep, but I'm, I'm halfway expecting winning two out of three. And when you always lose the first game, like we saw in San Diego and in San Francisco, when you lose the first game, you really make it hard on yourself. And you make it a lot more difficult to win more games than you lose, which is the ultimate goal, which means you need to win series. You need to win two or three, three or four. And when you're always dropping the opener like this, it makes it really difficult. Brewers losing last night, eight to three. They'll try again tonight, same time. Uh, 7-10 first pitch, 6-35 pregame. You can hear that right here on WKTY shortly after this show wraps up. 
This Brewers team is so hard to figure out. Just think of what went down last night. And if you didn't watch the game, I'm not going to read through the box score, who gave up what run and and who had which RBI. That's irrelevant. I'm not going to waste your time. But if you look at last night, what the hell's going on here? Okay, so Zach Davies is bad. I guess he's bad now, right? He started 7-0, I believe. Well, he's currently 7-2. He started blazing hot. We're talking about him in a Cy Young conversation. Now, no one was predicting Cy Young, but, but just to put it into perspective, right? Zach Davies is having that kind of year. Those were the kind of phrases and words we were throwing about. Well, and now he's been pretty bad the last couple of starts. Thought, okay, well, he's going through a rough patch. Well, no. Now he's just bad. He's back to being bad. Like we saw last year when he was dealing with those injuries, right? So Zach Davies is bad now, all right? And and even in the innings, the first and second inning, he didn't give up any runs. He gave up four in the third, two in the fourth, and that was his that was his night. He only went four innings. Now, only four of those runs were earned, but even in the first and second inning, when he wasn't retiring batters, or, or wasn't giving up runs, I should say, he was giving up hits and, and strong contact. Balls being pulled down the line and slapped into the gap and rifled right back up the middle, right? These weren't little floaters that were falling... Here and there, Zach was giving up some tough contact last night, even when he wasn't giving up runs. Bad start, another bad start. I guess Zach Davies is bad now. Yasmani Grandal's hitting leadoff. I understand it's working. I understand he's done pretty well. Got some hits, got some RBIs, got some home runs. But what? We got a catcher hitting leadoff? Okay, we're trying that now. Orlando Arce is having fielding errors, and I don't think he was actually tagged for an error last night, but had a tough, tough hop. Tried to play it off to the side. Didn't really get in front of the ball. It squeaks into the outfield and a run scores. Like I said, wasn't charged as an error. But the Brewers had multiple errors last night as well. They had two. Seattle, the most the most penalized team. Uh, the most error-filled defense in the entire major leagues. And, and Milwaukee matched them last night. Two errors apiece. Not something you typically see. And now, and now Jimmy Nelson's pitching. Talk about difficult to figure out. Jimmy Nelson's pitching in the bullpen, which is already weird. But he's, he's pitching in, in middle relief. He's not really in a meaningful role, not really in garbage time. I mean, the Brewers were in it last night. Yeah, they were down a couple of runs, but they're at home. This Brewers team can can hit the ball at the ballpark. They can score runs quickly. Jimmy Nelson comes in last night, pitches two innings. And if you were watching, you'll understand. If you watched, you'll understand how frustrating it was. Took him 47 pitches to get through his two innings last night. Now, he didn't give up a run. So if you're just looking at the box score, you might glaze right over. Okay, well, Jimmy Nelson's maybe we're going to get back on track. No, he, he threw 47 pitches to get through two innings. Only 24 of those 47 pitches were for strikes. He walked four batters in two innings. Woof. Just think about that. We spent our whole summer trying to figure out what's wrong with this Brewers team, what's good with this Brewers team, what makes them click. And just looking at last night, and only last night, how much weird stuff's going on. Zach Davies is bad now. Grandall's hitting leadoff. RC is misplaying balls that are leading to runs, although I know it wasn't an error. And Jimmy Nelson's pitching in this awkward middle relief position that's not 7th, 8th, or ninth inning. It's not a defined setup man or a closer. It's, it's kind of this middle relief will use you when we think you'll be helpful, right? He doesn't really have a defined role. Team's really difficult to peg right now. And last night was was another perfect example of why I think the Brewers have been frustrating to a lot of people this summer. Eight to three, they lost to Seattle, and, and I want to talk about it a lot. I think what it comes back to, all the Brewers' issues, and, and look, this is relative. The Brewers are, are five games over five hundred, and they're hanging in there in a very tough division. So it's relative when I say the Brewers are struggling. But 
I think what it all comes back to, you can sum it up as saying the Brewers don't know who they are. The Brewers have an identity crisis. They have identity issues, right? This is so corny. This is so overused when people talk about sports. But I think it really fits in this situation. The Brewers don't know who they are. Well, are we a team that's all about offense? Are we a team that's going to lean on our bullpen like last year? Do we make some moves for starting pitching and, and try to make that of more importance as the regular season rolls on and as we try to get back to the posting? I don't know. This team doesn't have an offense or doesn't have an identity. Didn't have an offense really last night either. They only scored three runs. This Brewers team doesn't know. They don't know who they are. What are we good at? What are we bad at? What are we okay at? What can we improve by a trade, by an acquisition? And where do we think we're okay? I don't think they know who they are. I don't think they know what their strengths, what their weaknesses are. They have an identity crisis. I think that's what it all comes back to. Let's start with that. Let's talk about that. 608-796-2558 is the five-star telecom talking text line if you want to talk. Brewers Twitter, open as always, at Keystroker Grant. That's my personal account. And then, of course, you can find us all uh, here at the station at WKTY. We're going to continue this conversation. That's what it all comes back to. Identity. Who are the Brewers? What are they good at? What are they bad at? I don't think they know, and that's why there's such a revolving door. Okay, well, Grandal's hitting leadoff. Okay, well, I guess that's working. Zach Davies is bad. What's Jimmy Nelson's role? Why is Orlando Arcia letting balls through that should be stopped, and that's leading to runs? I, I feel like this team morphs, and it's nebulous, and they're bad at something and good at something. Every week, it changes. Brewers team doesn't have an identity, and all of their problems, I think, stem from that tree. Now, I don't know what this Brewer's identity is. I know what it's not. I know what this team's identity is not. That's starting pitching, and we need to talk about that today as well because it's been bad. Continuing the Brewer's discussion, love to hear from you as well as the Wisco Sports Show rolls on, presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. This Brewer season has been frustrating. It's been awesome, and it's been just maddening at the same time, which I guess is what you'll get over the course of 162 games in a regular season. All spring, summer, and fall long. I mean, there's going to be ups and downs. Right now, the Brewers sit at second in the division. They're only a game back from the Cubs. They're three and seven in their last ten games. The Cubs five and five, as are the Cardinals. So nobody at the top of the Central currently is trying to grab hold of this thing. The thing is, only six games separating the top and the bottom of this division. The Pirates six and four, and the Reds six and four in their last ten. So actually, it's the bottom half of the division that's really trying to make moves right now. To put that into perspective, how crazy that is: six games separating top to bottom. The other two National League divisions, the East and the West, the East separated by fifteen and a half. That's by the Braves and the Marlins. And then out west, the Dodgers are just so good, so the Giants look bad. They're 19 and a half back. The American League is the same. The East, 29 and a half games separate the Yankees and the Orioles. The Central, 24 and a half between the Twins and the Royals. And then in the West, 15 and a half between Houston and Seattle. The next closest deficit is 15 and a half. That's more than double the deficit between the Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. The Central is a jam-packed division. And even if the Reds and the Pirates aren't near to the top come trade deadline time and and they're not movers and shakers and they don't end up contending at the end. You still got to deal with just quality ball clubs top to bottom throughout divisional play. And that's a big portion of your schedule in major league baseball. The Brewers not playing well in their last 10 games. They're three and seven. The Cubs five and five. Nobody 
wanting to jump out and grab this thing, and it's been difficult to figure out. It's been difficult to peg. Uh, this team has been difficult to handle. And, and, and if you got a grasp on it, let me know, because I'd love to hear it. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. I think the Brewers' issues, uh, to, to, and, and not to paint with a broad brush, I think the Brewers' issues all stem back to an identity crisis. The Brewers don't know who they are. I don't know who the Brewers are. What they do well, what they do poorly, what players outside of Christian Yelich you can really hang your hat on, and, and where are your weaknesses? Can you address those weaknesses? Right, teams need to know who they are. When Mike McCarthy was coaching the Packers, he always he always emphasized the self-scout. You know, we need to see what we're not just the opponents. Yeah, we need to focus on the Bears and the Vikings, what they're doing, but we also need to check ourselves, that self-scout, you know, see what we're doing well. All right, well, well, we've really been running the ball well lately. We need to we need to stick behind that. We need to stick to our guns. That's our identity. We're a ground and pound football team, which hasn't really been the case with the Packers, but a good example nonetheless. I don't think the Brewers know who they are. And that's going to make things really difficult in everything they do, in every corner they turn, in every game they play, until you figure out what your identity is. Last year, the Brewers' identity, at least by the end of the summer, and, and maybe it's not even July yet, so maybe I'm, I'm getting ahead of the, the curve. Maybe we shouldn't know who the Brewers are yet. Maybe we, they don't have an identity yet. But by the end of the season last year, you definitely know who the Milwaukee Brewers were. They were an offensive-centered ball club behind one of the best bats in all of baseball, Christian Yelich, everything goes through him. Everything plays around him. You get on base in front of him. You try to you try to hit well behind him once he's on base, stealing bases, moving around the base pass, all that. An offensive team centered around Christian Yelich and a bullpen that is the stuff of nightmares for opposing teams. And the starters just need to get you to four or five. That's all you needed. That was the identity. That was the blueprint. And, and that's why it's important, right? Because once you know who you are, what you do well, your identity as a team, then Craig Council can do his job. Then David Stearns can do his job. And the players know the blueprint to winning games. It became crystal clear in the month of August and into September and into the postseason last year for the Brewers. From first pitch to out number 27 in the ninth inning, they knew the bullpen, or not the bullpen, the blueprint, and the path to success. And it was mostly through the bullpen. Get your starter through four or five innings. Can we just scrape out a couple of runs? And ideally, in the fifth or sixth inning, we're leading. And then you bring the ringers in. Then you bring the nastiest, dirtiest relief pitchers in the majors in to close the thing down. That was the blueprint. That was the path to success. And because they realized that, yeah, our starting pitchers aren't great, but they're good enough. Yeah, if Christian Yelich isn't hitting, our offense can, can struggle, but we know that. But once you've realized that, then you can really organize things. Then Craig Council knows how to do his job. Right now, Craig Council, how many times has he changed the lineup? Right now, we got Yasmani Grandal hitting leadoff. Okay, well, Jimmy Nelson's now moving to the pen. Where is he fitting in the pen? Well, I don't know. We're down a couple of runs. Yeah, throw Jimmy and see what he does, right? There's so much experimentation. There's so much movement and fluidity in the, in the batting lineup. And I know Council says those don't matter. I don't agree. But there's a lot of fluidity there. There's a lot of transition there. If this Brewers team knew what they were, had an identity, had a blueprint and a path to success, there wouldn't be all this changing around. There wouldn't be all this flopping and swapping. What is the Brewers' identity? It's certainly not starting pitching. It's definitely not starting pitching. Last night, they lost 8-3. to three. Zach Davies uh, given up a, a, a pile of runs. A couple of them unearned, which is fair, but a, a short, short start, only four innings. 
And in the last 30 games, the Brewers starting pitchers have an ERA of 6-5-5. And for those of you who, who maybe don't know what earned run average is, that's earned runs allowed over nine innings. So on average, every nine innings a Brewers starter pitches, they give up over six and a half runs. Now, Brewers starters never go nine innings. They more so average about four and a half or four, which is what we saw last night. Which is even more worrisome because that means they're they're giving up a ton of runs in that short amount of time. Brewer starters going four, four and two thirds, four and a third, five. Right? If a Brewer starter goes five, good God, you're jumping out of your seat with excitement. Last thirty games, the Brewers have an, uh, the Brewer starters have an ERA of six five five, over six and a half runs given up per nine innings which is like 3.75 runs for four and a half innings, about. So basically, the Brewers starters have been averaging starts of four and change, and they've been giving up on average just under four runs per start. If you really strip the math down and do a really poor basic job, that's what it's amounting to. Brewers starters are going about four and a half innings, four and two-thirds innings per start, of course, minus Brandon Woodruff, and they're giving up just under four runs Per outing, right? An ERA of 6.55. You cut that in about half, which is what the, the Brewers starters are averaging. And you get about almost four runs a game, right? The three and three quarters runs. That's that's terrible. That's awful. And it's taxing your bullpen. It's taxing your offense. Their spot starting Adrian Hauser tonight. And Adrian Hauser has been the one point outside of Brandon Woodruff. He's been the one high point of the Brewers pitchers the last month or two. He's the one guy outside of Josh Hader that I actually feel comfortable going to in the bullpen right now, and now he's gone. And I'm terrified that the Brewers are going to ruin him too, right? Because they they move Corbin Burns out of the bullpen, he declines. They move Freddie Peralta into a more stable situation in the starting rotation, he declines. I'm worried they're going to do the same thing to Adrian Hauser. He starts tonight. And and, and I what I love is Craig Council and David Stern's talking about how, well, it's going to be an abbreviated start. Abbreviated from what? Four innings. If he gives us four, that'll just be normal. That's not an abbreviated start. That's that's a that's a Wednesday night Brewer game, a Tuesday night Brewer game. God, abbreviated start. You can't get any more abbreviated than what we've seen. Their identity isn't starting pitching. It certainly really isn't the bullpen. I, I think their bullpen is average. If I'm a general manager of a major league team. My goal for a bullpen is a couple of suitable arms and one lights-out guy to close it down. Now, obviously, the Brewers were lucky last year. Some circumstances came together where they were a lot better than that. But in June, if I can have one great closer, which the Brewers have, and Josh Hader's a little bit better than your average closer because he gives you some flexibility in, in how many innings he can pitch, when he can come in, etc. You have him. And then you have a couple of serviceable guys. I really like Jeremy Jeffress, and I really like... Uh, what Adrian Hauser has been able to do too. And hopefully Jeffers gets better. I, Jeffers isn't what he was last year. Hopefully he gets back there. Still waiting. But but the Brewers kind of have an average bullpen right now. I don't think that's their identity. It certainly is an offense. And I know Christian Yelich is great. And Mustak has been great. And Grandal has been great. And he's had success in the leadoff spot. But how can you preach that offense is your identity when arguably your best offensive player is in AAA right now in Keston Hira? If offense was that important to you and you were embracing offense as your identity... You'd have Keston here on this team. Keston here last night. San Antonio won. They won 10-2. to 
They piled up 15 hits. Keston here is stat line last night. Four at-bats. Two runs scored. Three hits. Two RBIs. No strikeouts. Nobody left on base. He's hitting 332 currently with an OPS of 1.104, which is otherworldly. He's hitting the hell out of the baseball. It's not just that Keston Hira is a great hitter and a great prospect, but he's playing insane baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, how many times, how many summers have we pined, man, Brewers got to get their, their number one prospect up here. I'm excited to see him. No, no, no. Keston Hira's on a different level. Because not only is he their number one prospect, but he's he's one of the top prospects in all of baseball, and he's performing at such a high level right now, this instant, this moment. Last 10 games, he's got 40 at-bats, 11 runs scored, 13 hits, 3 home runs, 7 RBIs, 6 walks. He's hitting 325 in the last 10 games. And, and the last 4 or 5, the last handful of games, right? yesterday he had 3 hits, the night before 1 hit. Back on Sunday night, he had three hits. Two hits the night before. And he's doing it with power as well. He's hitting home runs. The Brewers can't pass off that their identity is a smash mouth, home run hitting, mashing, six, seven runs a game baseball team because they're neglecting what maybe outside of Christian Yelich could be their best hitter by leaving him in AAA. So it's not starting pitching. It's not the bullpen. It's not their offense. At least in my opinion, you can't pass off your identity as offense when you have such a great hitter that you're neglecting in lieu of trying to get Travis Shaw rolling and trying to get Jesus Aguilar going. That was fun a month ago. That was fun three weeks ago. It's getting less fun every day. I'm getting less optimistic every day. So what is their identity? Identity matters. It sounds corny. It sounds like something that doesn't translate onto a baseball field or a football field. Identity. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Well, it's it provides the blueprint. It provides the path to success for Craig Council. Last year, last season, I talked all the time about why Craig Council did such a good job managing the team last fall. And I thought, man, it's a shame he didn't win manager of the year, right? Because he had a unique team. He didn't have a couple classic aces. He had to manage and play to his team's strength, which was the bullpen. Craig Council, every day, had to be sitting there thinking, okay, we're playing the Cardinals. How do I make it so that the Cardinals have to go through Josh Hader, Jeremy Jeffress, Corey Knable? Because if if those guys don't enter the game, Craig Council's not doing his job, right? That's like Mike McCarthy or now Matt LaFleur saying, well, we're not going to throw to Devontae Adams. He's your best player. You have to utilize your best player. You have to play to your strengths, play to your identity. And the Brewers don't have that right now. That's why Craig Council's tinkering. That's why Yasmani Grandal's hitting leadoff. That's why Jimmy Nelson is floating in this weird nebulous state in the bullpen without really a role. They don't have an identity. And it's only June 26th, right? There's there's lots of summer left. Last year at this time, I don't know if I was banging the desk saying, this is the Brewers' identity, this is what they are, and this is how they have to play. That's something you figure out over the course of the summer. It's not too late for the Brewers. They're a game back, and, and, and they're over 500 by a handful of games. But that's something you need to start to figure out. You need to start to figure out that identity so when August rolls around, so when September rolls around, you know what to do. You know how to put together a plan for success. You know how to manage. You know how to manage your players and your bats and your pitchers, your arms, everything like that. we got to take a break. I've ran it for too long. I, I, I can't tell you what their identity is. It's not offense. It's, it's not starting pitching. It's not the bullpen. I, I, I guarantee what which one of those options is the least bit true. That's their starting pitching. It has been a disaster 
we need to talk about the starting pitching and start to ask some serious questions about the upcoming trade deadline as well. Bucks free agent talk up at 545. We need to talk about one player in specific today. Uh, so a lot still to get to. Don't go anywhere. Uh, taking your calls, taking your text, 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talking text line always as well. Hope to hear from you when we return the Wisco Sports Show back in a moment here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 5.80 AM. Always stream us live on our mobile app and at WKTYsports.com as well. We do have to talk Bucks free agency. Some Not one big piece of news, but a lot of little pieces of news kind of trickling down the line regarding one particular soon-to-be Milwaukee Bucks free agent. We'll talk about that in about 10 minutes. We've been focusing on the Brewers I think because we're suckers for pain. I think because we are just gluttons for punishment. The Brewers losing last night 8-3. to And it's one game. Anytime I come on here and I'm jacked about the Brewers, or I talk down about the Brewers, talk about their struggles, talk about my concerns, I always get a text, I always get a tweet, it's one game. Regular season's got months left. I, I know. I know. But really, what we should be doing is using these individual games to tell us things, to teach us things. We're learning as we go. We're learning about this Brewers team, and, and we're, we're seeing, okay, well, on Tuesday night in June, we saw this. Okay, well, a couple days later, we saw this. How might this translate to the trade deadline, which is going to impact the team, which is going to impact their standing, which is going to impact the divisional race, down, down the line, so on and so forth. I'm not overreacting to one game, and if they would have won in spectacular walk-off fashion, we'd have fun with it, we'd talk about it, but we're never overreacting here. We're trying to learn about this team and figure this team out. And I can't. We haven't been able to. And I'm starting to realize that it's not our fault. It's not my fault. This Brewers team just doesn't have an identity. They, 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 don't, they don't have a strength. They don't have a weakness. They're just, just kind of floating. Waiting uh, for someone to get hot. Someone to step up. Someone to stop the bleeding. And none of their starting pitchers have been able to do that. I could make an argument that their identity is their offense. I could make an identity that they're... That, or make an argument that their identity is the bullpen. Just because Josh Hader is that good, you can wheel pieces and, and, and scoop pieces around and, and pretty have a, a solid pen based on just that one elite guy. You can make that argument. I don't think there's any possible way that you could contort your mind and make an argument that their identity is wrapped up in their starting pitching. It's been putrid. And last night, Zach Davies only going four innings. It'd be one thing if you were getting five innings, five earned runs. It'd be another if you were getting six innings and five earned runs, but just four innings, four and a third, three and two thirds. It's been miserable. It's been terrible. It's been awful. Last night, Zach Davies only going four innings. And in the last 30 games, Adam McKelvey of MLB.com and Brewers.com, you hear him on the Bill Michaels show, astutely pointed this out on Twitter uh, late last night. In the last 30 games, the Brewers starters have had an ERA of six. Five, five, averaging, giving up over six and a half runs per nine innings. And if you do just some really, really shoddy math, the Brewers average start has been about four and a half innings. So you cut that in half, you cut that ERA in half to fit. That's about just under four runs per four innings. That, you're not getting quality or quantity in that, in that equation, right? Your starters are going only a small handful of innings, and they're giving up a bunch of runs while doing it. Like I said, it'd be one thing if they were inning eaters and they're giving up a couple of runs. Well, I'm pretty confident in the Brewers' offense to win some games that way. 
But the starters aren't even giving you quantity. Low-quality starts, and they're pitching a low quantity of innings. Right? That's the age-old question. Would you rather have quality or quantity? Well, the Brewers aren't getting either from their starting pitchers. Short starts and a lot of runs given up. Now, I haven't really hated on the Brewers starting pitching too much. I haven't hated on David Stearns too much because I believe, I truly believe, that before the regular season started, when you're in spring training and you're starting to, to kind of think, well, this is what the starting rotation might look like. This is what the batting order might look like. I think the Brewers had a decent plan. I don't think they were unprepared. I don't think they were they were winging it, flying by the seat of their pants. I think they had a decent plan. Yoli Shasin was good last year. Pencil him in to start the rotation. We have three young guys we really like. Put them in as well. And then you know what? Zach Davies was injured last year. We trust that he can be a really serviceable pitcher and he can round out our rotation. And if that doesn't pan out, if all goes poorly, if a couple of those young guys don't play well, if somebody gets injured, we can make a move. And Gio Gonzalez kind of fell into their lap. Not going to lie there. That was, that, was, that was kind of lucky that that worked out. But we also have Jimmy Nelson coming back. And, and we know that we have Chase Anderson in the bullpen as well. We can work with that. Like, that's not a bad plan. They could have spent more money. They could have maybe made a trade. But but I'm not here to hate on that original plan. That plan went about as poorly as it possibly could have gone. They even had a plan B, like I said. I think they were un- operating under the assumption that Jimmy Nelson can come back and give them something. And if all else fails, we got Chase Anderson. He started before. And help. so is Junior Guerra. I, I don't know. We got, we got a lot of options. We got depth, right? Well, it went as poorly as poorly could go. Gio Gonzalez, by the way, is still injured. And news from Tom Hodricourt, who covers the Brewers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, tweeting out today, Gio Gonzalez will not return to action with the Brewers before the All-Star break. His throwing session was pushed back after a bullpen session that did not go as hoped. He's still got some soreness as what they've been calling a dead arm, right? So he's out until after the All-Star break. So even their plan B and plan C has gone south. And and it's really hard to have a plan D or a, or a, B, C, D, E or an F. Right? You just you run out of options at some point, and I'm not faulting the Brewers for that. And I, I truly believe when the season started, yeah, the Brewer David Stearns, they spent their money on offense. They spent it on Yasmani Grandal. They brought back Mike Moustakis. And at the time, I didn't see that and, and say, well, they're really neglecting their starting pitching. Yeah, their offense is going to be good, but it's going to be at the expense of their starting pitching. This was not a struggle. This was not a sinkhole of a rotation that I saw coming. I don't think the Brewers saw it coming either. They made the choice to prioritize offense and really just kind of grow from within and develop their pitching, which has gone poorly. But I don't think I don't think they neglected it. As we approach the trade deadline, which is in late July, and we're in we're in kind of the figuring out stage right now. Who's going to be buyers? Who's going to be sellers? What kind of pitcher might be on the market? And from which team? What will it take to get them? We're just we're just kind of dipping a toe in the water. Now, here in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to be jumping into the pool big time, and it's going to be a frenzy. But right now, everybody's kind of standing on the edge, saying, eh, water's not bad, just dipping a toe in, right? Trying to figure things out. Does adding one starting pitcher to this squad, d- does that completely turn around all their struggles? Does that make them an NCLS team like we saw last year or even a World Series team, which is their ultimate goal, of course, to improve on 2018? I don't think so. And I think it's unrealistic to say, well, the Brewers need multiple starters. Well, if you're at a point where you need multiple of anything, you're not a player or two away. You're just a player or two away from being in the mix, from contending. 
does it make sense for the Brewers to go out and, and, and blow some prospects on a, on a starting pitcher? Because I don't know if throwing one quality pitcher in there really fixes this thing. That's why the Brewers have, have talked about Josh Hader remaining in the pen because his impact can be felt multiple times throughout a week. A starting pitcher goes, what, every four, every five days? Josh Hader can pitch every other day. He can pitch two or three in a row. Now he might need some time off, but he can impact the game a lot more often than a starting pitcher. So going out and getting one starter who's going to play every four, every five days, I, does that completely alter the trajectory of this Brewers team, which has now been playing well, three and seven in their last ten games? I, I don't think so. You're going to need more than that. You're going to need Corbin Burns to turn it around. You're going to need Freddie Peralta to turn around. And as I say that, as it comes out of my mouth, doesn't that seem like an unrealistic opportunity or uh, unrealistic option? Doesn't that seem like it's a little bit out there? I don't know what the Brewers do right now. They got to figure it out. That's, they need to figure out their identity. And their starting pitching might be such a weakness that one or two moves at the deadline doesn't do it. Now, if the Brewers go out and get a guy who's under club control for a while, can be part of a, a run next year and the year after, well, then that's a little bit different. You never turn your nose up at a chance to improve your team. And I truly believe Adam McAlvey talked about this on the Bill Michaels show the other day. Teams are more willing to part with players who are under contract. It's not just rentals being sold now. General managers have their ears open to just about any player in any conversation if the compensation is there. It's not just rentals that are being gone after. So the Brewers do have some options. If they can get a guy this year, even if it doesn't change the trajectory and completely revolutionize their starting rotation, if that player can be a part of a title run next year, the year after, well, then it's still worth it. I just don't know if going out and, and getting hired guns like the Brewers did last year, I don't know if that's worth it. The starters have truly been that bad. Last 30 games, an ERA of 6.55. Woof. Man, oh man. I don't know. We're going to continue to discover this Brewers team. That's that's this is big picture. Big picture stuff today. The identity of the Brewers team. We got to figure that out. And ideally before the trade deadline because once that day has come and passed, you you're left with what you have. The players on your team and in your farm system. And there there ain't no improving from outside the organization after July 31st at the end of next month. We do have to talk Bucks. Free agency for the for the NBA is coming up before the MLB trade deadline. It's this Sunday night at 6 p.m. And there's one Bucks player, even more so than Chris Middleton, who has been the hot-button issue the last couple of months, that has found himself in the news. Not one big headline or one big revolution, but little tidbits here and there. Let's talk about Malcolm Brogdon and maybe his future or lack thereof with this Bucks team coming up next. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports right here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Thanks for hanging out, tuning in. My name is Grant Bills. We've talked a lot of brewers and I need a break. Blood pressure's too high. I want to talk about the Bucks NBA free agency is right around the corner, and and maybe, maybe none of our listeners are in this position, but I would imagine maybe one or two, maybe you got into the NBA for the first time this year just because the Bucks were so good, you had to watch, and you're kind of learning and figuring out things as you go. NBA free agency is, for a lot of people, bigger than the regular season, right? Tuesday night, regular season NBA games are for people who just like watching basketball, right? The same people who would watch a college basketball game on a Wednesday night, which is not something I would do. I'd watch an NBA game. But really, the big conversation is about LeBron, Golden State, 
And and then free agency. Where is this guy going to? Where's Kevin Grant going to end up? Where's Kyrie Irving going to end up? For a lot of people, and for a lot of people in sports media and shows, radio, television, free agency is a much bigger deal. I like them both. I like the actual games, and I like the drama of free agency. Uh, not everybody can say the same. Free agency begins on Sunday, and in the past, it's been like July 1st or, or June 30th at midnight, right? That's when players could originally sign. Well, now they moved it back to 6 p.m., so hopefully some of those deals get done, and then we can all go to bed and not miss anything. That's on Sunday night already. That's when Chris Middleton's going to become an unrestricted free agent. Brooke Lopez is going to be an unrestricted free agent, and Malcolm Brogdon will be a restricted free agent. Okay, now it's it's kind of complicated. It's I, I don't really even understand how unrestricted versus restricted basically works. But essentially, much like in football, what it comes down to, the, the crux of it, is if the Bucks want to keep Brogdon, they can. Much like the Bears kept Kyle Fuller last year. The, the Packers said, hey, we want to offer you $20 million, for example, per year. The Bears can say, no, we're going to offer him $20 million and when we get to keep him. He's restricted. We still have that control. Now, the Bears could have said, you want to pay him $20 million? Be our guest, right? Take him. And, and essentially let him go. But the Bucks have final say on whether or not they retain Malcolm Brogdon. And to me, he's the most interesting of the three starters who are left to become free agents. Remember, they locked up Eric Bledsoe already. Brooke Lopez is unrestricted, right? And, and with that, Tony Snell and the 30th pick and the John Luer transaction with Detroit, that gave them about $2.5 million extra dollars to play with this year. And then that contract comes off the books, which means they're going to have more next. Tony Snell has a couple more years on his deal. So with Brooke Lopez, they're going to be able to offer him about four years, $55 million with that extra money. Chris Middleton, they're going to be able to offer a $190 million five-year max deal. They can offer him a little bit more, and they have a little bit more of an advantage in offering him that money because they have what's called his bird rights. We've talked about this. It's an advantage that an NBA team has when they're trying to retain their own player. right? That, that's what the NBA put in to, to try to prevent players from jumping and leaving. Stay with the team that you're on. right? Stay with the team that drafted you. He's been there seven years. So the Bucks have a little bit of an advantage there. Malcolm Brogdon is the interesting case. Because in my opinion, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, the Bucks really have no reason to let him walk other than money. There's no salary cap issues. I mean, they, they might have to pay luxury tax. But there is no provision. There is no rule that says, okay, well, we can't, we can't keep him anymore. It's just money. It comes down to money. Okay, and now the rumors are going floating around and the little tidbits on Twitter and on television, on the radio are floating around that Malcolm Brogdon might command a pretty heavy price tag. Meaning, some team out there is going to offer him a bunch of money and the Bucks are going to be forced to pony up if they want to keep him. And that will be their choice. Malcolm Brogdon doesn't have a say in this, right? If, let's say, the Chicago Bulls offer him $20 million a year, the Bucks can say, no. Uh, we will, and they'll hold on to him. It's, Malcolm Brogdon doesn't get to choose. He's not unrestricted, right? The only reason that the Bucks have to not retain Malcolm Brogdon is money. And I get it that the luxury tax is expensive and going over the salary cap hurts. But the Milwaukee Bucks are in a position right now they haven't been in since 2001, and before that, the 80s. And in 2001, there wasn't exactly a lot of repeat success. That, that year was kind of lightning in the bottle. And now John Horst, the reigning executive of the year, his goal is to extend this window of contention as long as possible. Ideally, you want to contend every year that Giannis is there. That may or may not be realistic. There might be some up and down years. But as of right now, John Horst is trying to grab a hold of that window and hold it open as long as, as, long as possible. 
contend next year, hopefully the year after. That might get expensive, and that's the reality of the situation. The ownership group for the Bucks, in my opinion, in my opinion, should have no problem paying a little bit of the luxury tax. This Malcolm Brogdon offer sheet, which would be matched or not matched, it's for a year. Right? It's not like they're going to have to foot this bill for years and years and years to come. It's like a one-year contract. That's why I have no problem signing Asmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis. Pay him whatever they want. It's one year. It's not my money. It's the owner's. He's a billionaire. He owns a sports team. That's a, a bill he should be able to foot. That's a bill that the Milwaukee Bucks ownership group should be able to foot. I don't want to hear the reason that we didn't retain Malcolm Brogdon is because we wanted to stay out of the luxury tax. Malcolm Brogdon proved himself to be so valuable. More so than his statistics would say. Right? You can find a lot of guys who put up the same kind of statistics that Malcolm Brogdon does. Points, rebounds, assists. It's the way that he does it. Incredibly efficient. He was a 50-40-90 player, which is very, very rare. 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line. And he's... God, I hate myself for saying this. He's a glue guy. He makes everyone around him better. He knows his role, and he plays it very well, and he doesn't try to prove that he's something that he's not. He's a tremendous catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's pretty good off the dribble as well, and he's a very, very underrated finisher, which is something Nikola Mirotic is not, right? On his best day, Nikola Mirotic is just as good of a long ball shooter as Malcolm Brogdon. Problem is, he doesn't have the threat of pump faking and taking it to the rack and being able to wrap around, go reverse, throw a slam dunk down, shoot a runner. Malcolm Brogdon has a great finishing package. Nikola Mirotic doesn't. There's a difference between Malcolm Brogdon and just hiring a, a 3 and D catch-and-shoot player like a J.R. Smith, a Nikola Mirotic, right? A Nick Young. Malcolm Brogdon is so much more than that. And to let him walk because you didn't want to pay the luxury tax is ridiculous. In my opinion. That's not common knowledge around sports. There's plenty of reason to try to save money and stay out of luxury tax. Not to me. Your team is good, finally, for the first time in 20 years and, and a small handful of times in their existence. You got a new arena. Fan excitement is an all-time high. You pay the damn bill to keep Malcolm Brogdon in town. Uh, earlier today, uh, this morning, I was actually listening to uh, the Low Post, which is a podcast that Zach Lowe does, an ESPN basketball NBA reporter, and he had Brian Windhorst on as well. I was listening this morning, and then I saw tweets about it as well. He thinks that the Chicago Bulls are going to line up an offer sheet for Malcolm Brogdon, and that it's going to be really expensive. They drafted Colby White, the, the, the point guard, and, and I think in the best-case scenario, Malcolm Brogdon is a, is a shooting guard, a two, that also handles the ball a little bit, right? Let him play point guard a little bit, but he doesn't have to be an exclusive point guard to be successful. He's very good off the ball. Right, I, I I just think it's going to be expensive, and I do not care. Foot the bill, pay for it, go into the luxury tax. This beautiful arena, fan excitement is high, go for it. Giannis just won an MVP, you cleaned up at the NBA Awards, there's no reason to not pay for it. Go for it. I'm not saying an NBA owner always has to suffer, go for it pay the bill. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, Andy Herman from Cheesehead TV is going to join us to talk a little Packers as well. Same time, same place tomorrow. Can't wait. Talk to you then.